It's good to see you guys here. Hey, thanks for everyone who came out and helped with boxes yesterday. Um, and I, I really want to hear about your stories. And, uh, you know, when we have time and, and uh, you want to tell me uh, in the foyer after or before service, I'd love to hear what you experienced and how God used you taking boxes to people who you've been praying for and how that worked. I will let you know as of right now there is one box left. And so the reason why I say that is because 500 boxes in, in two days, a day and a half actually, uh, is phenomenal. Thank you, thank you. But there's someone in here who's been waiting until second service to get a box to take to a neighbor God's placed on your heart. That box is for you. You better leave, right? It's the only time I'll let you leave when I'm preaching, all right? So uh, otherwise, I'm going to call you out next time. So go ahead and get up and go get that box um, because that is your box. God has uh, put that on your heart, so do it. All right, so uh, this morning, we are in Daniel chapter 5, and there she goes. Daniel chapter 5. In Daniel chapter 5, we have been talking about in the book of Daniel how God wants us to live in a dark place and be a light in a dark place. How many of you would uh, give me a witness that the world is a dark place? It doesn't seem to be getting any lighter, but that God has called us to be a light in that dark place for him. And that's what we see in the book of Daniel. In the first six chapters of the book of Daniel, it's all about Daniel and his friends and how God uses them in a pagan country where they do not believe or worship the one true God. And so uh, that's what we've been on. Now, this morning is going to be a very difficult sermon. I actually was, it was really hard for me to develop this sermon this week because I knew how negative it could be. And it is negative. But with every negative, there is a, yeah, every good scientist knows this, right? Electron, neutron, proton, you've, you've got a negative, you've got a positive. Where there is good news, there's bad news. Where there's bad news, there's good news. And there's bad news this morning. This morning, I'm not going to sugarcoat this. There is a, if I was preaching this morning, there was a pink elephant beside me. Picture that. And I didn't say something about the pink elephant sitting next to me, you would not think I was legitimate. You would question my truthfulness. Um, and this morning, we have a pink elephant, and no one likes to talk about it, especially churches. But the pink elephant is God's judgment. It's God's judgment. I want you to think about this story real quick, just an analogy. I want you to think about that. Let's put yourself in these shoes. You've been having migraine headaches that have been excruciating, debilitating for weeks, months. And finally, you get in your doctor. Your doctor doesn't know what's going on, and, and Tylenol isn't working. Ibuprofen isn't working. Nothing's working. And so he, he refers you out to a, a neurologist. You get the appointment with the neurologist. You get the MRIs. You get the CAT scans. All of the blood work is done, and it all comes back. And you are about to go get the results from your neurological appointment. But the neurologist knows that you have stage four brain cancer. And that you only have four weeks left to live. And you come in the office and the neurologist says, hey, I want you to know, everything's great. Don't worry about it. How many people want a neurologist like that? I don't. I don't. I want to know the truth. I want to know my options, and I want the ability to say goodbye to my loved ones. 
So the truth is, no one wants a pastor that doesn't talk about the pink elephant. We've got a ton of churches that don't talk about the pink elephant. Here's the pink elephant. God is a judge, and he will judge us. And here's the bigger elephant. We are all under the judgment of God if we are not in Jesus Christ. And we'll talk about that on our last point. The question of this morning is, there's really two questions. Why, why is mankind under God's judgment? And I mean all of us at one point. All of us are under God's judgment. Why is that? And then how can we avoid God's judgment? So there's the, the negative and the positive, the bad news first and then the good news. Uh, this morning we're going to look at Daniel chapter 5. In Daniel chapter 5, um, you remember that the Israelites or the, the Judites have been invaded and they disobeyed God for 600 years by worshiping false gods. And he told them, if you continue to worship, worship false gods, I'm going to take you captive and, and ship you to a nation that doesn't know me. And you're going to be slaves there. And so that has happened. Uh, we know they went to Babylon and, and they served there for 70 years as slaves. And first, the first 40 years was under King Nebuchadnezzar, the strongest king of uh, the Babylonian Empire. And so they served him. Well, King Nebuchadnezzar is dead. He's been 20 years dead. His grandson, King Belshazzar, is now serving on the throne. And Belshazzar is about to be judged by God. And it actually shows us why we, too, are judged by God if we're not found in Jesus Christ. This morning, I want you to turn to Daniel chapter 5. Why is God justified in judging mankind? Here's the first reason. God is justified in judging mankind because mankind suppresses the truth about ourselves. We are not honest about who we truly are. We don't admit that we truly deserve God's wrath. We think we're better than we... See, here's what man does. Man elevates the view of themselves and lowers their view of God. That's what happens. And we think we are better than we are, and we think God is less holy than he truly is. That's exactly what happens. And Belshazzar, by the way, is no different. He actually thinks more of himself than he should. So we've got this uh, king, Bab king of Babylon, Belshazzar, and he's throwing a great banquet. We're going to see that in a minute. And uh, as he's throwing this great banquet, they're drinking wine. The wine is flowing. The party's good. Everything's good. But what you don't know, and I don't know, is the background of this story. The Greek historian Herodotus, who wrote in 450 BC, said, King Cyrus is outside of his gates with an entire Median Persian army, and he's inside drinking wine and feasting. That's exactly what's going on. And so knowing that, I want you to see how he suppresses truth about who he is and how we do it too. Notice what happens in verses 1 through 4 of Daniel 5. King Belshazzar gave a great banquet. Like I said, King Cyrus of the Median Persian Empire is outside his gates. They're invaded. He threw a great banquet for a thousand of his nobles and drank wine with them. While Belshazzar was drinking his wine, he gave orders to bring in the gold and silver goblets that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken from the temple in Jerusalem so that, so that the king and his nobles and his wives and concubines might drink from them. So they brought in the gold goblets and had been, that had been taken from the temple of God in Jerusalem. And the king and his nobles and his wives and his concubines drank from them. 
And as they drank the wine, they praised the gods of gold and silver, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Suddenly, the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster on the wall near the lampstand in the royal palace, and the king watched the hand as it wrote. (laughs) Belshazzar is just now being coronated as king. I I want you to know this because I've encountered people who've said this, that Daniel chapter 5 is a fictional story. And the reason why they say that is because the name Belshazzar, king, is not found in historical records as the king. Matter of fact, a hundred years ago, we had no evidence that the, the guy Belshazzar ever existed. <laughs> I got good news for you. In 1889, there was a cylinder found in the ruins of Babylon. It was called the Nabonidus Cylinder. Nabonidus is the king, the last king of Babylon on historical record. Nabonidus it says on the cylinder, was the father of a Belshazzar. And when Nabonidus was away, worshiping his god in Saudi Arabia, he worshiped the moon god Sin. His son, Belshazzar, reigned on the throne with him. Well, two days before this, we find out in historical records from Herodotus, two days before this, Nabonidus, king of Babylon, is captured in war with King Cyrus. So what is, what is Belshazzar doing here? This is his coronation ceremony. He's getting drunk and having a party while the enemy is outside the wall. Why would anyone do that in their right mind, right? You're thinking that, right? Why would he? Because he has to instill confidence in his people or else they will join the enemy. Think about it. The empire's falling. It's overwhelming odds. He's trying to calm them by giving them confidence in himself. And that's what man does. We think so highly of ourselves that we think that we're capable of actually saving other people. And we think we're capable of defending ourselves against what God already said was going to happen. And uh, this is what's happening. By the way, today we have 37 different artifacts from archaeological digs that have the word uh, Belshazzar on it. So don't, don't listen to people who say this is fictional. He's trying to inspire confidence in himself as leader, as the new coronated king. But he's also doing something else. Belshazzar is trying to to inspire confidence in his strong position. You see, Babylon during this day was the greatest nation on earth, and it's falling. Greatest nation on earth, guess what? All nations eventually fall. All nations. And in Babylon, this is... um, this is like the America of the day. I can't, I can't overemphasize this enough. Babylon has a Lockheed Martin. Babylon has a Northrop Grumman. Babylon has a Boeing. It's just not as sophisticated. What I'm trying to say is, is that the city of Babylon, we find out from the Greek historian Herodotus, who writes 100 years after this happened, the, the city of Babylon was the most well-defended and technologically advanced city that's ever been. Matter of fact, the city of Babylon had not fallen for a thousand years up to this point. So we piece together the historian Herodotus, and we piece together archaeological digs. And let me give you a few facts about Babylon. We have a picture up here of Babylon. This is the best we can do right now. Babylon had two wall systems. The first wall system, Herodotus says, was 350 feet tall. 
Now, I think he was overemphasizing because that's 35-story building. I don't think, you know, you know how people overemphasize, especially kings and preachers. They, they, you know, they overemphasize stuff. I think that's what he's doing. But let's say we go conservative. Let's say the walls were 100 feet tall. That's a 10-story building. Herodotus also said that the walls were 87 foot wide. They were wide enough to have four chariots racing over the top of them. They were as wide as the Palmer Wasilla Highway. That's how wide the walls are. And they're at least 100 foot tall. And they encompass, there's two walls, one outer and one inner. The inner wall has a moat around it. And uh, it's never been penetrated. This, this city has never fallen. And it has unlimited water source. The Euphrates River is running through the middle of the city. They'll never run out of water. If forces come out against them, they can't run out of water. That's not all they have. Herodotus said they had 20 years worth of food stored up in this city. Unlimited water, 20 years of food. What is King Belshazzar doing? He thinks he's got it made. I don't have to worry about, I don't have to worry about the, the Persians and the, who's King Cyrus? He, he is confident in his own power to defend himself. And uh, this is called pride. By the way, there's a third one. He inspires confidence in their gods because in this day and age, don't forget that when countries went to war, they claimed their God to be more powerful than the God of the country that they were against, and therefore they would use themselves in, in such a way to demean the God against the country. Well, they're being invaded. King Cyrus is outside the gate. King Cyrus has his gods. King Belshazzar is feasting, and he wants to make an example of how his gods are more powerful. So what does he do? He goes to the storerooms, and he gets out all the goblets from the one true God who he knows has power. And we'll find that in a minute. He knows this God has power. And he's making an example that I can do this because my gods are more powerful. And you say, well, Jason, how is this like us today? I'm not King Belshazzar. I'm not that dumb to allow invading army around my... There are similarities. Let's look at this. We suppress the truth. By not admitting our needs. We suppress the truth by not admitting that we need God. We think we're going to be victorious over death by our own power. Matter of fact, a lot of us don't ever think about death at all. I want you to consider this. I was in the Iraq war, the second one. In the invasion in 2003 as a Marine. And we were about 50 miles away from the border, and it was two weeks before the invasion, we knew we were going to go to war. They were telling us, it's imminent. It's not if, it's when. We're going to war. We had been practicing the invasion. We've been practicing all this stuff. And when you're that close to war, you don't have cell phones because you can't talk to anyone because they don't want you to talk to anyone. You can't have computers. There were no Xboxes. There were no PS4s. Like, we had none of that. What happens when you take away movies, when you take away PS4s and Xboxes? What happens when you take away telephones, you take away computers? You have to deal with the inevitable what's in front of you. You see, part of what he's doing here is he's allowing them to get drunk so they forget about what's happening. And that's what we do as man. We distract ourselves so much we don't realize, listen, 
100% of us, 100% are going to die eventually one day. The question is, have you thought about it and have you prepared for it? And here's the real question. Do you think you can prevent it? And the answer is no. No. And he's not dealing with that. And, and a lot of the times we don't either. But here's the real deal. Here's the real stick. This is what's really happening. My question is, how come King Belshazzar is drinking wine when a whole empire is outside his gates instead of advising his wisest military strategists? How come he's doing this instead of asking, where's that guy Daniel that my grandfather consulted? Where's these wise people? He's not doing any of that. And I have to ask myself, why is this? And, and I know why it is. And, and let me put it down in, 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 in our terms, okay? Because I've seen this now, and I understand it, and I've done it. All of us grow up as kids, and we become adults. You know what we say? I'm not going to do it like my parents did it. I'm going to be... I'm going to be... Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm not going to do like my parents did it. They did this, and they did this, and it was wrong. And I'm not going to be like that. I'm going to be better. And then we have kids. And we raise them, and our kids leave our house, and they say, I'm not going to be like my parents. I'm not going to do this, and I'm not going to do this. I'm going to be and every generation blames the generation before and never takes responsibility for their own selves. See, that is the lie. The lie is, is that they're sinners, they're evil before God, and I am not. No, 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 listen. We have a motto here at this church. We're all in the same boat. Will you guys say that with me? We're all in the same boat. Hey, we're all messed up. Your porridge is no better than mine. We all deserve judgment before God. And, uh, and this is what's happening. By the way, notice this in John 3, verse 19 through 21. Here's how Jesus says it. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world. But people loved the darkness instead of the light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed but whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so their deeds might be seen for what God has already seen them for how do you know someone's changed you know someone's changed when they just admit when they did wrong and they admit who they are and the Belshazzar he's covering that up he's having none of that he wants you to think he is perfect and he's in control by the way we see this today in our culture I'm going to use an illustration from news today. Hopefully many of you have understood this and, and have seen this and read this. On Good Mer- uh, Morning America on ABC, there's a co-host. Her name's Amy Robach. And uh, Amy, a few years ago, had interviewed Virginia McGuffrey, who was the one charging Jeffrey Epstein with all of his, his sexual misdoings and his, his, um, his perverted ways with underage girls. And 
she reported, she interviewed this lady and reported to ABC, I've got this interview, and ABC start, decided to squash it. Well, Amy Robach, when the, when the, when the actual uh, news came out about Jeffrey Epstein a couple years after she did the interview, she outed ABC and she said, those guys sat on that interview and they knew he was a pedophile. They knew it. Well, just this week, Amy Robach has been caught with an affair for the last six months with her co-host. And everybody's like, you're an affair, that's wrong. You're both married, you both have kids, you both, that's wrong. And, and what's there on ABC? Laughter and joy and no addressing anything. That is, that's man. And listen, I, I'm not saying shame on Amy Ro I'm saying that's all of us. What we do is we're cancel culture. We go look at someone's Twitter account, Facebook account, 20 years past and say, you're wrong. And at the same time, we're sitting here committing affairs. That's, that's the problem. The problem is we have to admit the truth about ourselves. We are all sinners in the hand of a God who demands payment for sin. We suppress the truth about ourselves. Why is God justified? We suppress the truth about ourselves. Here's number two. Why is God justified? Because we not only suppress the truth about ourselves, we suppress the truth about God. So we lie about ourselves and then we lie about God. And this is why we're under judgment. Um, by the way, in recent years, this is, this is nothing new. Everybody say nothing new. Nothing new, guys. Nothing new under the sun here. In recent years, we found out that a couple of years ago, Twitter decided to um, not mention a story about Hunter Biden having a laptop. And the reason why they decided not to report that story during the election cycle was because they labeled it as Russian disinformation. And now we find out the new owner of Elon Musk has said that uh, Twitter knew it was legitimate and decided to not mention it at all. Now, who here can tell me you knew that? News, they withhold truth in order to twist what, and by the way, this isn't liberal versus Republican. I'm saying both sides do it. That is wrong. But that's what we do about God. It's so much worse than that. We do that about God. Notice here what's happening. Um, King Belshazzar, he's not admitting the truth about himself, but then he, he, he sees this hand. It's like, it's like worse. It's worse than the Adams family hand. Way worse, you know, fester with the hand coming. It's, it's worse than that. There's this hand that appears and starts writing on the wall and writes, many, many tekel parson. And he freaks out. You would too, right? Rightly so. You would, you would, you would lose it. And so the king says, uh, he's fearful. He says, bring in all my astrologers, bring in all my sorcerers, bring in all the Chaldean, the wise men, and anyone who can interpret this, I will make them third in command of the Babylonian kingdom, right? His dad, the king who got captured, him, the new king, it's the highest he can give him. Third, third in the whole kingdom. And then he brings in all the wise men and none of them can interpret. By the way, this is all in their language. It's all in Aramaic. They can read it. It's just there's no verbs. So they don't know what to make of it. And so none of them can interpret it. And they get really nervous. And all of a sudden the queen mother. This is King Belshazzar's mother. This is, this is Nebuchadnezzar's daughter. Hears the commotion and comes in. And she says, what's the problem? He tells her and he says, 
there was a man who served your father, the king, talking about, because there is no word for grandfather in Aramaic. It's father or descendant of your father, Nebuchadnezzar. And his name was Daniel, and he had the spirits of the holy gods in him. He, he, he was able to give dream, the interpretation of dreams and much wisdom. Bring him in. And so they bring Daniel in. They tell Daniel, Daniel, if you can interpret this, I'll, I'll give you the third highest in the kingdom. And, and Daniel says, keep, keep your reward. And notice how when Daniel talks to him, how it shows that King Belshazzar suppresses God's revelation and truth. Notice what he says here in verses 17 through 28. Then Daniel answered the king, you may keep your gifts for yourself and give your reward to someone else. Nevertheless, I will read the writing for the king and tell him what it means. O king, the most high God gave your father Nebuchadnezzar sovereignty and greatness and glory and splendor. Because of the high position he gave him, all the peoples of the nations and men of every language dreaded and feared him. Those the king wanted to put to death, he put to death. Those he wanted to spare, he spared. Those he wanted to promote, he promoted. And those he wanted to humble, he humbled. But when his heart became arrogant and hardened with pride, he was disposed from his royal throne and stripped of his glory. He was driven away from people and given the mind of an animal. He lived with the wild donkeys and ate grass like cattle and his body was drenched with the dew of heaven until he acknowledged that the most high God is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and sets over them anyone he wishes. But you, his son, O Belshazzar, have not humbled yourself, though you knew all this. Instead, you have set yourself up against the Lord of heaven. You had the goblets from his temple brought to you and you and your nobles and wives and concubines drank from them. You praise the gods of silver, gold, brawn, iron, wood, and stone, which cannot see, hear, or understand. But you did not honor the God who holds in your hand your very life in all your ways. Therefore, he sent the hand that wrote this inscription. This is the inscription that was written. Many, many, tekel, parson. This is what these words mean, many. God has numbered your days of your reign and brought it to an end. Tekel, you have been weighed on the scales and found wanting Perez. Your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. You think, after this interpretation, he would be concerned and he'd ask Daniel, what should I do? He does not. He does not. He continues to suppress the truth. Look at verse 22 and notice the key that Daniel says to King Belshazzar. He says, he says this, but you, his son, O Belshazzar, have not humbled yourself, although you knew all this. You knew all this. Like, this isn't like, this isn't some new information to you. Here's what I know about kings. You ever read or or you ever read any good history books? You ever watched any good uh, movies? You're going to know this. Kings had to read the history of their countries. Had to. Because without knowing history, we're doomed to repeat it. Kings had to know their histories. He would have at least known three things, possibly two things by reading his, his, his history. Here's the first thing he would have known. He would have known that King Nebuchadnezzar had a dream once where he threatened to kill all of the wise men in Babylon. And this dream was such that um, no one could interpret it and one person could be found. His name was Daniel. King Belshazzar knows who Daniel is. 
There's a reason he's not in his throne room. He knows who Daniel is. And he knows that Daniel interpreted that dream. And it was a great statue. You remember this? Daniel chapter 2. It was a great statue. And Nebuchadnezzar wanted to know the meaning of this statue. And Daniel told him there was a head of gold. There was a chest of silver and arms of silver. There was a waist of bronze. There were legs of iron. And he said, O king, this is the interpretation. You are the head of gold. And then he said, after you comes another kingdom that is the chest of silver and the arms of silver. You know what, you know what this is saying? This is saying to King Nebuchadnezzar and his grandsons, any kings that come after him, after King Nebuchadnezzar, the, the longevity of Babylon is going to be very short. It's going to end very quickly. Belshazzar knows this. Why does he think he can defeat the Israelite? He not only thinks he can defeat the Israelite God, he thinks he can mock the Israelite God. That's, that's what's happening here. And so he knows this. He also knows about the story of his grandfather, King Nebuchadnezzar, being humbled and being made like an animal. He knows that story because what accompanied that story was a testimony from Nebuchadnezzar that spread through the entire realm and kingdom. Nebuchadnezzar himself wrote a letter to the entire kingdom saying how the God of the Israelites did this to me. And uh, so he knows the truth. And by the way, there are three main ways that we all, with King Belshazzar, suppress the truth about God. Here's the first way. Man first suppresses God's truth by overlooking prophecy. We just don't talk about it, y'all. We should talk about it. We should talk about it. Prophecy is powerful. What I mean is, is that there are a lot of prophecies that are still yet to come to pass. Guess what? God is going to assemble his army at the walls of the kingdom of the world one day, and he's coming in. We need to keep that in our mind. The further away from our mind that is, the more we don't live like God wants us to live. But he's coming again. Uh, man will not stay in power forever. But he's wanting to suppress prophecy. Say, well, Jason, how's King Belshazzar suppressing prophecy? Oh, listen, this is good. Because here's what I know. I know that the majority of slaves in the city of Babylon are Israelites because their entire nation was taken into slavery. Does everybody agree with that? Entire nation was taken into slavery. They're in Babylon. They have the Old Testament. Matter of fact, 170 years before this, there was a prophet and his name was Isaiah. And Isaiah, 170 years before this, prophesied that there was going to be a king that rose up that delivered the future Israelites and, and delivered them from exile from Babylon. What's the name of that king? Cyrus. Isaiah 45, 13, 170 years before this. I will raise up Cyrus in my righteousness and I will make all his ways straight. He will rebuild my city and set my exiles free, but not for a price or reward, says the Almighty. <laughs> what are the slaves doing in the city right now in Babylon? Can, can anybody guess? They're freaking out. They're, are, would you be excited? Like there's a king, Cyrus, right outside the gates. What's about to happen? God's word is about to be fulfilled. And guess what? King Belshazzar knows all of this. And he stands against him. Is this not modern man? Is this not us? To know 
that this is the word of God to know all of the prophecies in here that have come to pass that we've proved it was impossible for this prospect. We have manuscripts that were older than the prophecy fulfilled in many cases with Jesus. What I'm trying to say is we have manuscripts that are carbon dated that have prophecy that the carbon dated manuscript is actually carbon dated a couple hundred years before Jesus actually came to be born. We have all this, but you will not find that on CNN. You're not going to find it on ABC. Don't wait for CNBC. Don't wait for Fox. It's not going to be there. We suppress that information. Why? Because we don't want to be accountable to God. We don't want to be accountable to God. We want to be God. Here's the second thing we do. We suppress history. Notice that King Belshazzar is not talking about his grandfather Nebuchadnezzar's encounter with the one true God. He doesn't talk about it. I'm going to do better than my parents. I'm going to do better than my parents. Not ever realizing when your parents actually turn their lives over to God, which Christ that you should too. You see, you see that? You see that? And this is what he's doing. He's rewriting history. We call this historical revisionism. Anybody ever heard that term? Historical, historical revisionism. People are doing this today. If you want to control the present and the future, what you have to do is rewrite the past. Because if I can change your identity, I can change your future. And this is what the schools are trying to do. What I say is a higher education, the colleges. If I would just deny the Holocaust, I don't have to be nice to Israelites. Iran doesn't believe there was a Holocaust. It's, that's historical revisionism. What is King Belshazzar doing? He's not mentioning how God interacted with his grandfather. And, and he says, you knew this. And uh, by the way, who's ever read Animal Farm? Great book. Who's re- ever read Ayn Rand, Atlas Shrugged? <laughs> you guys got to read, man. You got to read. These are great books. I got another one for you. George Orwell, 1984. Read it. It's happening today. Read it. 1984, this, uh, this phrase comes from George Orwell, and it is, it is true. Here's what he says. He who controls the past controls the future. Man is trying to rewrite the past. Who here doubts that George Washington ever existed? Any takers on that? No. Who here has met personally George Washington? No, you haven't, Miles. Anyone else? You need to talk to him. Anyone else? No one else has met the historical General George Washington turned into president. No one. And, and yet no one here doubts that George Washington existed. We have a state named after him. We have a capital city named after him. How come there are people who college professors who doubt that Jesus Christ was a historical figure when there's more written about Jesus Christ than George Washington? Historical revisionism. We don't want to be accountable to God. Here's the third reason why we are under God's judgment. It's because man suppresses how God speaks through creation. Now, this one I had to dig a little for today, or this week. This one is quite unbelievable. Okay. People usually ignore people they don't respect. Have you ever noticed this? 
If you have someone that you walk into a room with, now I'm not saying Christians because we shouldn't do this, but our, our fleshly nature tries to do this. If you don't respect someone, you usually don't look them in the face. You don't, usually are not cordial to them. This is the way man works. What man does with God is they won't give him the respect of acknowledging what God is doing in real time. There's not only this hand on the wall, this thing from the Adam's family that God has sent. That's, that's not all that's going on here. There's something way bigger because here's what I know. God not only speaks through prophets in the Bible, God speaks through creation. <laughs> this is crazy. See, God is so powerful, he's actually not only designed the hand on the wall, he's designed the times and seasons to speak to the king and the king's ignoring it because he doesn't respect God. You say, well, Jason, what are you talking about? Here's what I'm talking about. The king first brought in who? He brought in the astrologers, the sorcerers, the Chaldean, and the wise men. They were experts in reading the stars to determine prophecies. Okay? Here's what we know. Herodotus, the Greek historian, tells us that the date of this invasion was October 15th. And we know that the Babylonians paired their calendar to astrology. Every single month had an astrological sign. The sign for October was Libra, which is the balance scales. Many, many Tarkal Parson are all measuring terms about balance scales. God is totally using not only the hand. He's using their own astrology to show them I'm in control. You are not in a good position. And what does he do? He doesn't repent. And that leads us to our third point. Because now we see, whoa, whoa. I am guilty. I do rewrite the history. I do not take ownership for what I do. I blame other people. I am under guilt. And can I give you now the good news? Most of you know it. But I want to complete this. Here's the good news. How can we avoid God's judgment? We have to trust God's ability to save us and surrender. We have to surrender. <laughs> Notice this, King Belshar does not surrender. And the question is, did he have a choice? I have a lot of friends who believe these you know, sovereignty guys, these Calvin guys believe God's election, no way he could get it. And I get that. I get that. I'm not, I'm not denying that whatsoever. But at the same time, I want you to know that um, sometimes we think there is no option. It's either this or that. Daniel's telling him, this is what's going to happen to you, King Belshazzar. Your kingdom's ending today. But that does not mean Belshazzar didn't have a choice. He is going to get crushed. But what could have he done? He could have opened up the gates with a white flag. And by the way, that is the only thing we can do. God is standing at our gates. God is an enemy of those who have not turned to him because we deserve judgment. Romans chapter 3, verse 23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's all of us. That means all of us. We're, we're all in the same Boat, Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. The wages of sin is death, that's spiritual, physical death. God's at our gates. He's our enemy. The only way to prevent being overthrown by God is to raise the white flag, go out the gate. But in order to do that, you have to believe something about God. 
You have to believe that he's good enough to forgive you. You have to believe that Jesus Christ's son was sent to pay for our sins so that when we go out the gate, we go out as enemies and we enter into his presence as friends. And the only way we can do that is through Jesus Christ. Romans 5, 8 says this, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were yet still, say with me, while we were still yet sinners, Christ died for us since we have now been justified by his blood. How much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through Christ? If you've never opened up the gate of your hearts and said, God, I am guilty, then you still need Jesus. You still need Jesus. And I pray that is you today. If you're not a Christian here and you've never opened up your heart to God, you've never let down your gates, and I appeal to you today, you don't know your time. Belshazzar thought he could last. That night, King Cyrus and his army dug a trench and diverted the entire Euphrates River. And that night, city of Babylon was overthrown. We don't know how much time we have. My question to you is, have you let down your gates, risen your white flag, and trusted in Jesus Christ to pay for your sins? Would you bow your heads? If you're here this morning and you have never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you've never admitted to God that you're a sinner that deserves his wrath, I pray, pray this prayer with me so that may, you may know that you are saved. Say, Lord God, I believe I'm a sinner. I believe that I deserve your wrath. But I believe that you sent your son to die on the cross for my sins. I believe that he rose again from the grave. Lord God, forgive me of my sins. And come into my life so that I may be your son or daughter. In your name I pray, Jesus. Amen. Hey, if you prayed that prayer today and you meant it with your heart and it's the first time you ever did, you, you have died to the old self. You have become new. You are now a Christian. And by golly, we want to know that. There is a communication card in your bulletin. I want to know if you receive Christ as Savior the night because you're supposed to actually be baptized. We want to have a party. Not the party of Belshazzar, but hey, this is a great and exciting thing because people have been born into the kingdom of God. And it's you, and we want you to get baptized. We want to know who you are. We want to celebrate with you. So fill those communication cards out and say, I received Christ as my Savior today, and put them in the offering boxes on your way out. Hey, thank you, and God bless you, and meet people who you don't know today and tell them you're thankful they're here. God bless you, and have a great day.